The liberal global elite have descended from their private jets into a luxurious little town high up in the Swiss Alps for the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum, where they hope to plan how all the rest of us will live. But if you say that, you will be called a crazy right-wing conspiracy theorist, unless you're John Kerry. When you stop and think about it, it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives, are able to sit in a room and come together and um, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. And if you said that to most people, most people, they think you're just a crazy tree-hugging, lefty, liberal, you know, do-gooder, whatever, and, and there's no relationship. But really, that's where we are. For the record, John, I do not think that you people are do-gooders. <laughs> I think you are do-batters, okay? I am half convinced that you are all extraterrestrials, but I am, I am not convinced about the do-gooder thing. What, I, what I'm most convinced about that John Kerry said is that these people are elite. They are a select group of people. Well, the select pass the caviar. And they want to become the masters of our collective future. But if you say that, you will be called a crazy right-wing conspiracy theorist. Unless you're the founder of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab. What does it need to master the future? I think to have a platform where all stakeholders of global society are engaged. Governments, business, civil societies, the young generation, and I could go on, I think is a first step to meet all the challenges. This is how we will master the future. So what we know from their own words is they're elites. They meet up in a wealthy, inaccessible ski resort town surrounded by the Swiss military and a private police force. And they intend to reorder the entire world. If you acknowledge all those things to celebrate them, that's perfectly fine then you are an insightful participant in the progressive society of the future. But if you point out those facts to criticize them, you are a conspiracist kook and a danger to mankind. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to The Michael Knowles Show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Johnny S., who says... Make our eggs on gas stoves in the morning? Damn, Michael, we're not all millionaires like you. You make a really great point because when I would go shopping for eggs back when I was a bachelor, I'd go and eggs would cost a dollar or maybe two dollars. And then just the other day, sweet little Elisa brought this up to me. She said, Mac, I was complaining about how the prices of something had gone up. She says, Mac, do you know what we pay for eggs? I said, do I want to know? She goes, you don't want to know, Mac. And, even, you know, she likes the fancy eggs, the eggs with the college education. And so I, I'm, I, I will go bankrupt on the eggs. You're right. It won't matter if they take my gas stove away from me because I will have nothing to cook on the gas stove. At least, though, that might rejuvenate me a little bit. You know, I won't become quite so bloated. I won't be overweight. Uh, I'll, I'll look a little younger and fresher. When you want to look a little younger and fresher, you've got to check out Genucel. Right now, go to genucel.com slash Knowles. 
Our friends over at GenuCell Skincare have exciting news to celebrate in 2023. They are introducing their new microbiome moisturizer, which uses the power of probiotics to target skin redness, pesky wrinkles, fine lines, patchy blotches, and other signs of premature aging. These are the same probiotics that are in your yogurt. As it turns out, these super ingredients can have the same nourishing benefits on your skin as they do for your stomach. Probiotic extracts target bad bacteria and restore balance to your skin's protective barrier. Now, every GenuCell most popular package includes their new probiotic moisturizer, free with your order. I absolutely love these guys. I am always skeptical of the stay younger, look fresher kinds of products. So I insisted, I said, I gotta, I gotta get some of this product to try it. Uh, if I'm going to endorse it. And I really, really rely on these guys. I really, really like them. Uh, you can get Genucel's most popular package for 770% off. Go to genucel.com slash Knowles. Get your probiotic moisturizer today. Code Knowles at checkout. Get an extra 10% off your whole purchase. Genucel.com slash Knowles. A lot of kooky stuff being talked about at the World Economic Forum. This is my favorite though. You know, they talk about how we're going to eat the bugs. It's not a conspiracy theory. That's from the World Economic Forum website. You know, they talk about how we're not going to get to drive our cars. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's from the World Economic Forum website. You know, they talk about how we're not going to own anything. We're going to have no property and we're going to be really, really happy about that. Not a conspiracy theory from the World Economic Forum website. But, but the agenda item that always seems to pop up not just among the Davos crowds, specifically at the World Economic Forum, but it always pops up among the liberal elite. Overpopulation. Uh, overpopulation. The idea that there are too many people in the world. We got to stop having any more babies. We got to maybe hurry along the people who are already in the world to their final destination here. That remains a top agenda item, even as it has been disproven time and time again for 50 years now, disproven. The World Economic Forum admits this, that overpopulation has been kind of disproven, and then doubles down on it anyway. They say, even as birth rates decline, overpopulation remains a global challenge. And they, they have this graph here. It says Malthus didn't see this one coming, referring to the Malthusian idea that there are too many people in the world and we need to reduce the population. They say the vision of a post-apocalyptic overpopulated world has been a favorite nightmare scenario of science fiction writers and filmmakers for decades. But data from a variety of sources, including the UN and the World Bank, indicate that the total number of live births is falling around the world, including in developing nations uh, and uh, developed nations. Uh, some commentators have suggested the decrease in fertility rates is good news for our descendants. In previous generations, national birth rates were high. Uh, however, factors such as new medicine and improved access to education for women have uh, dropped fertility rates. Despite this, though, some regions are still experiencing significant population growth. They're talking about Africa. They're talking about parts of Asia. And so this is a really big problem, and we, we've got to take care of that. No one who complains about overpopulation has ever been the good guy, ever in history. If you are complaining about overpopulation, you are on the bad team, okay? None of the people who complain about overpopulation are ever volunteering themselves to, to uh, take a ticket off the ship, right? It's always that someone else shouldn't have life. It's always that someone else 
should hurry along and die. It's never that they themselves want to do that. They want to go to parties in Davos and they want to have nice drinks and they want to have a bunch of hookers, apparently. According to the reports coming out of Davos, there is just an army of prostitutes descending on the town because it's a big party and there's more money than sense going around, definitely more money than virtue. And so while they have their fun and they eat their fancy foods and they drink their fancy drinks and they do various activities with their fancy ladies of the night, they talk about how you should not even have the right to live. Forget about the right to a gas stove. Forget about the right to eat beef instead of crickets. Forget about the right to drive your truck instead of some stupid electric car. Even the right to live they are going after. And it's all the usual suspects. And, and what's amazing is, is not just the, the craziest things that they say, but that they try to ground their agenda in, in political commentary that seems to have a kernel of truth. A great example of this, St. Al. St. Al Gore took to Davos to explain why we've got to cut back on the oil subsidies. Enough already. Enough. And I, I don't want to get sidetracked onto what needs to happen, but we need to scale up climate finance, but we need desperately to scale down anti-climate finance. And we are still subsidizing the burning of fossil fuels globally at a rate 42 times larger than the subsidies for the shift toward renewables and EVs, uh, etc. We need new leadership at the World Bank. We need them to uh, scale up the leverage and vastly increase the amounts that are are committed. And we need to rein in the anti-climate activities of the fossil industry. So a lot of bluster, a lot of we should do this, we should do that. We need to rein in the oil and we need to rein in the people who support oil and we need to shut you up and we need everyone to go along with my very unpopular agenda. Sure, that's typical politics. But he made a a positive claim here. The claim was that we subsidize oil. And if you just heard that fact, You'd say, well, that seems kind of strange. Oil's a very profitable industry. Why is it that governments around the world to the tune of, what, half a trillion dollars a year are subsidizing oil? That seems corrupt. We should probably stop that. Until you you ask the basic question, okay, sure, we subsidize oil. Why? Why do we subsidize oil? And the reason we subsidize oil is so that poor people don't freeze to death in the winter. That's why we subsidize oil. We don't subsidize oil just because we like the cut of the jib of the CEO of ExxonMobil. The, the people clamoring for the oil subsidies are, are people who are poor or advocating on behalf of the poor because people can't afford to heat their homes. People can't afford to fill their gas tanks. Why are we subsidizing oil? We have a, a national strategic petroleum reserve. Is that, a, is that a subsidy of oil? Well, it is the state purchasing a lot of oil, but it's for national defense. Which of those things do you want to get rid of? You want the, the poor people to freeze to death? Maybe they do. I mean, if you're worried about overpopulation, then maybe you do. You say, well, you know, these people, they just need to go away. I think of Yuval Harari. He's one of the contributors to the World Economic Forum. Some people have called him a kind of philosopher of the World Economic Forum. Yuval Harari has said that in the future, there's just going to be all these useless people, all these useless people out there who are just sucking up energy. And he was asked, how are we going to deal with these useless people? And his answer was drugs and video games, ply them full of drugs, keep them kind of busy, keep them kind of happy. 
Get them out of the way. That is the view of humanity from the so-called do-gooders, as John Kerry calls them, at the World Economic Forum. And why do they view humanity this way? Because they're standing way high up in the, in the Alps. That's why. It goes back to that old wisdom from G.K. Chesterton, the old Father Brown stories. Say, don't pray from the tops of buildings. Don't pray from heights. Because from heights, people look very, very small. People look like bugs. And then you end up wanting to feed them bugs and wanting them to go away and, and, and viewing them as a kind of pest that needs to be exterminated because of the, the peril of overpopulation. When you're down on the ground, when you are a grounded person, when, when, you're, when you're looking up, then you can see the heavens and you can see that people are really people and they're full-sized and they look a lot like you. They don't look a lot like the people who go to Davos, at least not to the people who go to Davos. Those people are extraterrestrial as far as Carrie and the rest of those people are concerned. Speaking of fossil fuels, I got to a story a little bit yesterday. I mentioned it. I want to drive it home, which is these gas stoves. <laughs> you know the libs threatened to take away our gas stoves in the name of climate change or energy efficiency or whatever. They, they tool around in their private jets, they fly all the way to Davos, but they're really worried about you frying your eggs in the morning if you can afford the price of eggs these days. Then they backed off it. There was a public outcry, even a Democrat Senator Joe Manchin came out and said, you're not taking away my gas stove, this is a stupid idea. And they said, no, we never wanted to take away your gas stoves, but we got them on tape. The thing is the internet is forever. And so we've got the head of the Consumer Product Safety Commission just last month coming out and saying, yeah, we very possibly are going to take away your gas stoves. What this whole story is about is not gas, not cooking, not what they're going to make us eat, it, none of those things specifically. It's about the liberals taking our temperature. It, 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 in this way, it relates to gas stoves. It's about figuring out what the temperature is. The libs do this all the time. They float some crazy idea and they say it very confidently and then they wait to see if we'll go along with it. This was the story of COVID. The story of COVID was, okay, there's a virus that came out of China that almost certainly was engineered in a laboratory and very likely was engineered with our money through the very kind of research that we were funding in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They lied to us about that, but put a pause there anyway. A virus comes out of China and the virus results in, for most people, a mild cough. And sometimes you lose your sense of smell or taste. But for some people, it can be really bad. But for the vast majority of people, it's, it's not that big a deal. And what the Libs did was they said, and this came straight out of the World Economic Forum. These are the words of Klaus Schwab. He said, the COVID-19 lockdown presents a rare opportunity to reset our world. And then you had all of these uh, rulers. You had King Charles III at the time, the Prince of Wales, using these exact phrases. You had Joe Biden repeating this kind of phrase, Justin Trudeau in Canada, reciting this kind of phrase, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, and many other world leaders all saying, okay, we're going to use COVID as an excuse to push through a bunch of policy that we all want to do. So what do they do? The, the libs come out and they say, okay, because there's this kind of a coronavirus, flu-like kind of virus coming out of, out of China, we're going to completely shut down all your churches. Okay, yeah, you're good. And then what did we say? Most people said nothing. They said, okay, well, you have to shut down my churches. I might get a mild cough. So of course you have to take away my right to practice my religion. 
Yeah, okay. And good. Okay. They're going to go with us. All right. And uh, okay. And we're going to shut down your, all your jobs and take away your small businesses. And gonna, we're going to force you to just buy products from really big businesses. And it's going to represent the largest transfer of wealth in recorded history. And what happened? Some small business owners fought back. Daily Wire fought back as best we could. We actually won a case in the Supreme Court in the vaccine mandate. But overall, what happened? People, they just, okay, they said, all right, we won't go to work. Okay. 15 days to slow the spread, 15 years to slow the spread. Okay. And then what did the libs do? They said, okay. And yeah, and you can't see your relatives either. Yeah. Christmas is canceled. You can't go to Christmas and you can't hug anybody and you can't, you have to stand six feet away from people. Why? I don't know. And you have to wear a hanky on your face. If you don't wear a hanky on your face, the whole world there, everyone's going to die. Yeah. Good. You're going, okay. All right. And then this, this vaccine, this, this, uh, extremely risky gene therapy that we've been developing for like five minutes now, uh, you all have to take it. Even if your risk from COVID is statistically nothing. You, okay. And you got to take a second one. Hey, Bill, they're doing it. <laughs> can you believe that? Klaus, can you believe these lemmings are doing it? That That's what they're doing. And so when they floated the gas stove, thing, and obviously it got so much worse with COVID, but when they float the gas stove thing, that's exactly what they're doing. They're saying, man, what's the, what's the craziest thing we can say right now? that will show our dominance over people and will give us, in principle, even more power over their lives. We're going to take away their stoves. Yeah. We're going to get, we're going to go into their kitchens and take away their stoves. Are they, are these dummies going to go along with that? And fortunately, people said, no, that was the line. Stab me in the arm with an experimental drug. That was unfortunately not the line. Make me put a hanky on my face for three years. Unfortunately, that was not the line, but at least the stove was the line. And so they back off a little bit, but they're going to come back at it. They're just constantly recalibrating where your tolerance lies. And then they're going to peg their predations exactly to where that point is. Speaking of taking the temperature, the 2024 presidential race is still going on. A lot of us have forgotten about that. Hasn't really been in the news lately, but It is very much in the news again because one of President Trump's top advisors, who now happens to be the governor of Arkansas, that would be Sarah Sanders, was just brought on a news show. She was asked a simple question. Your old boss, for whom you were one of his closest, most trusted advisors, he's running for president again, do you endorse him? Here is Governor Sanders' answer. Let's look ahead to 2024. Your bio on your official page as governor describes you as a, quote, trusted confidant of President Trump. Have you talked to him about his 24 run? Will you endorse him in that? My focus right now has been on 2022, winning the election in November, preparing through transition and getting ready to take office as I did this past week. I love the president, have a great relationship with him. I know our country would be infinitely better off if he was in office right now instead of Joe Biden. But right now, my focus isn't 2024. It's focusing here in Arkansas and doing what we can to empower the people of this state and make sure that I'm delivering on the promises that I laid out over the course of the last two years. What kind of timeline would you have for making a decision? Do you want to see who else gets into the primary? Will you wait for the nominee? Uh, Again, my focus isn't on 2024. It's on what we can deliver in this legislative session. In other words, I'm not answering your question, Shannon. And I think it's fair enough. I love Sarah Sanders. I thought she was a phenomenal press secretary. She gets it politically. She's tough. She's smart. I think she's going to make an excellent governor of Arkansas. 
And what she's doing here is politically, I think, very wise. She has taken the temperature and she sees that it is not in her political interest to come out for Trump or maybe for any presidential candidate this early. Her constituents don't want to see it, at least I think in her view. Republicans, I'm not sure, want to see it. And Trump, love him as I do, he's not nearly as strong politically as he was two years ago. And so she's just taking that temperature. And this is why I happen to love Sarah Sanders. I think she's a great force for good in American politics. But even for for politicians that I don't think are a force for good, I still pay attention to what they say, especially on questions like this that involve making political predictions, trying to get on the good side of the winner, not getting on the bad side of somebody who might win in in another possible world. I, I pay attention to what they say because if you know a politician's name, 99 times out of 100, that means that politician is a VIP, MVP, A-lister, varsity politician. They're very, very good at being politicians and taking the temperature and knowing where people stand. And so right now, Sarah Sanders is hedging her bets a little bit. And I think that's fair enough. It's totally her right to do that. I don't see any reason to endorse any presidential candidate this early. But I will tell you, if Trump were the dominant force in the Republican Party that he was a couple of years ago and that many people thought he would be in the 2024 race, a lot of people predicted, including potential candidates, predicted that if Trump got in, he would clear the field. That has not happened. And that is, that is being reflected when even some of his closest advisors and supporters are saying, well, I'm going to see how this thing plays out. Speaking of presidents, Joe Biden showed off another one of his talents the other day. Joe Biden has a talent, not only for getting himself elected, but Joe Biden, we know, has a talent for storytelling. We know uh, Joe Biden was a genius in school. He graduated with, uh, what did he say, three undergraduate degrees? Three, did he say he got a full academic scholarship and graduated top of his class? And uh, I don't think, maybe that stuff didn't turn out to be true. He's a great swimmer. You know, he used to go swimming with corn pop. He had very hairy legs. And well, on, onto all of these talents, uh, Joe Biden apparently is a singer. And for Martin Luther King Day, Joe Biden decided to sing happy birthday to Martin Luther King's daughter-in-law. Well, look, my wife has a rule in her family. When somebody's birthday, sing happy birthday. You ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Alan. Happy birthday to you. Not exactly Marilyn Monroe to Jack Kennedy. <laughs> and what I, what I love about Biden's rendition is how human it was. Because we've all done that. If we're at a birthday party or, a, you know, we're in a restaurant, let's say, someone goes in over and sings happy birthday. And you, maybe you join in, but you don't know the person's name. So you say, happy birthday, dear Arizona. Except Biden did that singing alone. <laughs> The idea, when you when you sing that in a group, the idea is that the people who do know the person's name will, will drown it out. But Joe Biden is singing this alone into a microphone, and he's the president of the United States, and he has no idea what this woman's name is. No one forced him to sing this song. This was his own idea, clearly losing his touch a little bit. Shows you something else, too, though. You know, I didn't really talk about Martin Luther King Day, which is one of the saint, saintly feasts in the liberal liturgical calendar. 
Uh, it goes along with uh, Women's History Month, Black History Month, Gay Pride Month. The Gay Pride actually gets two months now. They get June and October. Uh, all these different months. And, and just as liturgical calendars have holy months, they also have holy days and feasts. And one of the prominent ones for the liberals is Mar- St. Martin Luther King Day. And one of the reasons I don't acknowledge the day is that Nobody really cares about Martin Luther King. Everybody pretends to care about Martin Luther King, but nobody actually cares about Martin Luther King, and certainly not the people who most exploit his name. Like Joe Biden showing up at, I believe, an event for the National Action Network, uh, Al Sharpton's shakedown organization. And he goes there and he he pretends that he fought with the civil rights activists and he makes up all these stories and he was out there marching on Washington with corn pop or whatever. And he said, oh, Martin Luther King means so much to me and his daughter-in-law means so much to me. What's your name? Shamalama, halalala, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, I love black people. Give me money, support me. If you're not, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. Happy Martin Luther King Day. If you don't vote for me, I'm depriving you of your racial identity. It's just so pathetic. It's just pure pandering. And I have to tell you, I I am delighted on those occasions when he's caught doing it. Happy birthday, Jack. Happy birthday here, Jack Corn Pop. Come on, man. You know, happy birthday, someone who better vote for me. Speaking of racial politics, San Francisco has solved racism. It's over now. We can pack it up. We don't need Martin Luther King Day anymore. We don't need any statues of weird arms grabbing onto various appendages or fecal sorts of things or genital uh, sculptures. We don't, you know, the one in Boston. We don't need that anymore because San Francisco cured racism. Had they cure it, they're going to give black people $5 million. And then it's cured, I, I hope. I certainly hope so. San Francisco Reparations Committee proposed a plan to city officials last month that would pay longtime black residents of Northern California, of the Northern California metropolitan city, $5 million each while granting total debt forgiveness for decades of systematic repression. I have to remind you, I don't know if you're a history buff or not, but when you look at slavery and the history of California, one of the funny things is California never had slavery. (laughs) It's one of the most notable states in the country that never had slavery because in fact, the slavery question into California was one of the causes of the civil war, which ended slavery over 150 years ago, I would remind you. So, So people in California who were never slaves are going to make $5 million each paid for by a state that never had slavery. San Francisco African-American Reparations Advisory Committee just submitted this report to the Board of Supervisors. They say, quote, centuries of harm and destruction of black lives, black bodies, and black communities should be met with centuries of repair. If you look at San Francisco, it's very much a tale of two cities. That's, it is, San Francisco is a tale of two cities. It's a tale of of the tech oligarchs and heroin addicts. The tale of two cities is not broken down evenly on race. It's broken down on the zillionaire rich kids who became tech oligarchs and the people who are hooked on drugs that those very same tech oligarchs are encouraging to do the drugs and handing them all needles and letting them languish in the streets and die of exposure. That would be, that would, if you wanted 
reparations, or really if you just wanted a kind of social welfare policy, you'd probably target those people. You probably wouldn't pay $5 million to every single black person in, in a city that never had slavery. Now, why is it $5 million? I know exactly why the committee recommended $5 million. What were they going to do? What were they going to do? This issue is so absurd. The, the, the issue is so purely emotional and so devoid of reason for the reasons I've just mentioned and others that these people on the committee must be terrified that, that if they offered a number that was too low, they'd be called racists. They'd, they'd be said to make light of slavery. If they came back and they said, okay, look, slavery, we've done the calculation. And because some people, maybe a, a small number of the people in the city, the black people, maybe some of their ancestors uh, were slaves at some point, like 150 years ago or 200 years ago or 300 years ago. And so by my calculation, we're going to give you $10,000. Oh, that wouldn't, that wouldn't cut it. Raises another question. What about the, the many black people who also descend from slave owners? Does it cancel out? If you just, if a black person descends from a slave owner, when I think of the first officially declared slave for life, arbitrary, arbitrarily declared slave for life, not for punishment for a crime or something like that, the, the first arbitrary, arbitrarily declared slave for life in America was a black guy. This was in Virginia. And the first arbitrarily declared slave owner was also a black guy. He was a black Angolan guy. So if you're a black person and you, and you descend from that black guy who was the first judicially announced uh, slave owner in America, do you have to pay reparations? You surely shouldn't get reparations. What if you descend from both of those guys? Does it cancel out and it's even? Let's say it's 5 million bucks. Okay, that's it. I I could get behind that plan. I don't know how many black people in San Fran qualify for this. I don't know. Let's say it's, it could be be a lot of people, you know, 10 people, that's 50 million bucks. I'm I'm no mathematician. 100 people, 500 million bucks. Thousand people, five billion dollars. Ten thousand people, fifty billion dollars. I don't care. I don't care what the number is. Let's say it's fifty billion dollars. Chump change compared to what we send over to Ukraine. I'd be willing to spend it if if I were convinced that fifty billion dollars could could solve America's racial obsession. Oh, that would be a great investment. I'd be totally fine with that. I don't care. That's fine. Governments wastes money on all sorts of nonsense. 50 billion? Great. Will that do it? Will, will the $5 million payments in San Francisco cause everyone to shut up about racism from now on? And I never want to hear it again. I don't want to hear one gripe. I don't want to hear one passive aggressive comment about how terrible America is. Not, not, I think that should be the, the plan. This is the requirement. I endorse the San Francisco Reparations Committee's plans. I encourage other, other municipalities around the country, maybe even the federal government, to follow it. X amount of money, anybody who can make a plausible claim that they descended from slavery and their ancestors were oppressed or whatever, they get a huge amount of money if they sign on the dotted line that they will never, ever again open their yaps about the evils of systemic oppression and how they could never make anything of their lives because their great, 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 grand uncle was a slave at some point in the past. Fine by me. That's great. That's my slavery reparations plan. I am totally 
for you. It's just like how the Knowles prenup plan, I endorse prenups if the prenup says that whichever party ends the marriage forfeits all the rights to the house and the money and the kids. If that's the prenup, I totally endorse prenups. And if this is the reparations plan, when you sign on that line and you take that money, you got to keep that trap shut about racism for the rest of your life. Cool. Frankly, I think it's a good deal for the public. This January, we are celebrating the anniversary of one of the greatest moments in Daily Wire history. After months of us leading the legal battle against the federal government in a national do not comply campaign, the Supreme Court ruled in our favor and blocked the Biden administration's outrageous vaccine mandate. This mandate would have set a dangerous precedent, giving the unelected OSHA power over the personal medical decisions of American citizens. The Supreme Court recognized this gross power grab and made the right decision. We are so proud to have led the charge in this fight, but we could not have done it without you. Thousands of you joined the Daily Wire, and over a million Americans signed our petition against the mandates. To celebrate, we are offering 40%, 40% off annual memberships with the code do not comply. If this mandate had gone into effect, you either would have lost your job or you would have had to take the dangerous Fauci ouchie. We would have had to do it too. I asked Jeremy, I said, so what happens if we lose this case? He said, oh, we have to, we have to go along with the mandate because one, we'll have made ourselves the biggest target for the federal government. So you know they're going to come investigate us. And the moment they do investigate us, they're going to find out that we're not mandating it. And they're going to find us hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. And whether we want to fight it or not, they will bankrupt the company within two weeks. It would have happened. And so standing up at the right time with the right amount of courage, it really, really had a major impact. To celebrate one of the greatest moments in Daily Wire history, get 40% off your annual membership. Join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Join the winning team as we continue to crush the libs. Do not comply. That's the code for 40% off. Do not comply. Now, on the topic of resentment, Angela Bassett just won a Best Supporting Actress at the Golden Globes. You didn't catch the broadcast? Okay, me neither. But I saw the clip and I really, really loved this clip because Angela Bassett's speech was a real example of a class act, okay? And she addressed this topic. As we're talking now about how some people are clamoring for reparations to the tune of $5 million because their 10 times great-grandfather was a slave or something, Angela Bassett, instead of focusing on resentment, as so many people do now, at award ceremonies in particular, on the sports fields, in public life, Angela Bassett focused on the opposite gratitude. In order for that destiny to manifest, I think that it requires courage to have faith. It requires patience, as we just heard, and it requires a true sense of yourself. It's not easy because the path is circuitous and it has many unexpected detours. But by the grace of God, I stand here. I stand here grateful Grateful, grateful to the Hollywood Foreign Press for giving me this honor along with Wakanda forever. Grateful to my amazing team who every day, each and every one of them work, work along with me and beside me and on my behalf each and every day. Grateful to my family, Courtney, B. Vance, Bronwyn and Slater. I love you from the depths of my heart. My mother always said that good things come to those who pray. And I see the truth of that every day. Love it. What a class act. I want to put that part of the speech on repeat. I want to play it in every classroom in America. That's so right. Not only is it a classy thing to say, 
at an award ceremony, as you're being handed a trophy, but it's just the right attitude to have in life. You can approach life, anybody, I pro- anybody can approach life from the perspective of resentment and anxiety and dread and fear and general irritation. Or any person can approach life from the perspective of gratitude. And the reason for that is you are not responsible for the creation of your life. You did not make yourself. You did not will yourself into the world. Your life is a gift. So every single thing that you get is a gift from God. And you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. That's just a a gift that you were given freely. And you owe gratitude for that. Exactly the right way. And she she ends it on that note. She doesn't just talk, talk about gratitude out in the ether this kind of new agey, you know, it's the, it's the vibes and the energy, man, you know, and the echoes and the ripples. No, she's saying it's good to pray. Not just send good vibes, but pray. Good things come to those who pray. And maybe not material good things. I mean, plenty of God's favorite people have suffered enormously. But ultimately, good things come to those who pray. Because prayer is conducive to happiness. Gratitude is conducive to happiness. That's why the do-batters who are destroying our society are, are trying to get people to stop praying. In fact, this just happened over at the Mall of America, that gigantic mall in Minneapolis. A guy was wearing a t-shirt. It said, Jesus saves. Really simple t-shirt, very basic statement that people have been wearing on their bodies and their clothing for 2,000 years now. You probably could have found Romans and togas wearing the phrase, Jesus saves. And the authorities probably wouldn't have liked that either. This guy gets harassed and told to leave by a mall cop for wearing that offensive statement. Jesus is associated with religion and it's offending people. No, it's not. Actually, it's not the religion. It's about, it's about eternal life. Okay, but it's the same thing. Okay, people have been offended. And like I said, all we were asking you is to take your shirt off. You can go to Macy's or we can leave. I didn't say anything though. If you want to shop here, you need to take that shirt off. It is religious soliciting. There is no soliciting allowed on law property, which is private property. And they just keep harassing this guy. The clip goes on and on and on. The cop won't back down. The guy says, I didn't even say anything. I'm just wearing this shirt and it says Jesus saves. It's not an obscene shirt. In fact, if it were an obscene shirt, I'm sure the cops wouldn't have hassled him. But because he's wearing a shirt that makes a statement that is good and true and beautiful and conducive to happiness and human flourishing, that's why the powers that be are after him. And this should come as no surprise. The devil is the prince of this world, okay? This is nothing new. We like to lament the lizard people over in Davos because of because they're awful. They're awful and they want to destroy our lives. I'm not downplaying that. But this is not a new thing, okay? We fight against principalities and powers and evil and wickedness in the very high places, okay? And, and all the way down to the very lowest echelons of that authority and enforcement, all the way down to this mall cop trying to shuffle a Christian out there because what he was wearing on his shirt, the cop considered to be offensive. In a way, it is offensive. It's, it's offensive in a very wonderful way. It's offending the, the evil sensibilities of a fallen world. But it, it is offensive. It's making an exclusive claim. It's saying that if you want to be saved, you're, you're saved through God the Son. That's how you're saved. What if people say, well, what, but, I, but I don't want to worship Jesus. Okay, well, you know, that's, that, I guess that's a you problem. I, I imagine that's what this man would say. He's wearing a shirt that says Jesus saves. 
well, why can't God save mankind in some other way that I would prefer? That's what all sorts of people have been asking for the last 2,000 years. Why can't, why can't the religion of me be true, whatever my preferred version is? How dare you suggest that your vision is true? I'm going to punish you for doing that. Yeah, of course. Look what they did to Jesus, okay? Of course they're hustling this guy out of the mall of America. It is offensive. But the shirt is true, okay? Uh, a story I really wanted to get to on Monday. I'm glad we have a, like a minute or so to get to it now. Lisa Marie Presley died. Lisa Marie Presley was the only daughter of Elvis Presley, only child of Elvis Presley. Uh, she was only 54 years old. Some of you may know. I don't know. I haven't been totally open about this on the show. I am a huge Elvis fan. I am a diehard Elvis fan. I've been a huge Elvis fan since I was five years old. I was pictured in my local newspaper doing a little Elvis song and dance when I was in kindergarten. I would, on occasion, uh, do an Elvis impersonation as part of a variety show in Hawaii. I, I just, I've got Elvis memorabilia. I've, I once visited the West Wing for the first time and Graceland for the first time within a relatively short period of time. I was much more in awe of Graceland. Okay, I'm just a huge Elvis fan. Very, very sad that Lisa Marie Presley died. Uh, some people are blaming it on the vaccine. I don't think there's evidence of that. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I just, I don't see any evidence of that. Obviously, there were heart problems in, in Elvis's family. His mother had heart problems. He had heart problems. Lisa Marie had heart problems, it would seem. Uh, the, the Presleys have been pretty open about their drug problems uh, over the years. Uh, poor Lisa Marie's son, who looked just like his grandfather, uh, died a couple of years ago. So had, had a hard life. The reason I bring it up at all is one, you know, it's good to pray for the Presleys. I really near and dear to my heart, even though I've never met any of them. Uh, but also to, to make a point that is really important to, to keep in mind, especially as we talk about the rulers of the world, the rich hobnobbing over in Davos with their private jets and their champagne and all the rest of it. It's a, it's a warning story from Lisa Marie Presley. Lisa Marie Presley has been rich every day of her life. Material prosperity does not determine a happy life. And when I say that, everyone's going to say, duh, yeah, Michael, tell me something I don't know. Wow, what, what genius insight over here from the philosopher, Mr. Michael. Money doesn't buy happiness. I know, I know everybody knows that. Except we all forget it. We all forget it all the time. We say, oh, if I just had a little bit more money, then I'd be happy. Look at the people in Davos. Are those people happy? I don't, I don't know. They don't seem like happy people to me. Bill Gates doesn't seem like a happy person to me. The, the philosophers of Davos who go on stage and say, God is fake news. There is no soul. We are nothing. All the little people, we're going to ply them with drugs and video games. They're useless people. They're like, we're going to feed them crickets and let, oh, they're t- sucking up the air, polluting my world. Oh, these, those don't, the people who are saying that, don't seem like very happy people to me. You look at Hollywood. You look at the rich and famous. You look at their lives are so disordered so much of the time. And then you think about the happiest people you know. Poor people have plenty of problems too. But it seems to me that there, there are very, very poor people who are happy and very, very poor people who are unhappy. And the same is true for rich people, which means that the determinant for happiness is not money. The communists are wrong. 
The determinant for happiness is not how much money you have. Even the kind of liberal technocrats are wrong. The the determinant for happiness is not how much money you have. The greed is good, hardcore, Wall Street, 1980s Republicans, let's all get rich kind of right-winger types. Their premise is wrong too. It's not to say that money is a bad thing. Money can, can be a lovely thing. It's not that the root of money is, uh, that, that money rather is the root of all evil. That's not true. People misquote that quite a lot. The love of money is the root of all evil. But money itself is, money itself is just material. And your life does not hinge on material things. Because contrary to what all these geniuses who think they know so much better than you, who think that they can upend the whole world and run your life for you, all these geniuses who are virtually all materialists of one sort or another, contrary to what they believe, you are more than just your body and you're more than just your stuff. And if you, if you treat yourself like you're just a hunk of meat to be manipulated by various chemicals and things that money can buy, you are not going to live a happy life. You're going to be just as happy as those lizard people over in Switzerland. Okay, that's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow.